Hello and welcome to this edition of the ILO's Future of Work podcast. I'm Sophie Fisher. The COVID pandemic has thrown a spotlight on our care systems. It exposed many gaps. These failings are not just a question of rights or human dignity, they also affect the world of work because a lack of care means people are unable to work to their full potential and may even have to leave employment temporarily or permanently. This is not just bad for workers and their dependents, it's bad for businesses and our societies and economies overall. The ILO has just released a new report looking at these issues and proposing suggestions for improving care systems and services. The report is called Care at Work, Investing in Care Leave and Services for a More Gender Equal World of Work. Joining me now to discuss the findings is Emanuela Pozan, who is Senior Specialist, Gender Equality and Non-Discrimination at the ILO. Emanuela is one of the team behind the report. Manuela, welcome to the Future of Work podcast, and thanks so much for joining us. Hi, Sophie. Hi. Let me start off by asking, it's a long report, so what stands out in it for you? Thank you, Sophie, for this question, and and it's a great pleasure for me to be part of this podcast. And so what we did uh, was really to survey and take stock of um, the care policies, in particular Uh, maternity protection, paternity, parental leave policies, uh, policies relating to health protection for pregnant and nursing women, breastfeeding at work, and also services, childcare and long-term care services. And we did this for 185 countries. And so we can now say where we are uh, in terms of uh, such policies. Um, And certainly we can say that there has been some progress, but there is still a long way uh, to go. And mind you that, as you said, these care policies are essential for all societies and economies to thrive. So just to give you a flavor, you know, if we look at maternity leave, for instance, which is an essential um, leave policy, um, maternity leave is, is, is actually longer uh, and it's actually better paid. So in this past 10 years, since 2011, we can say that there have been some improvements. We have 120 countries where the duration of maternity leave is at least 14 weeks, according to the ILO Convention on uh, uh, Maternity Protection, number 183. And we also have 52 countries that have um, that have been exceeding, uh, meeting and exceeding uh, the ILO uh, standard of 18, 18 weeks uh, uh, of maternity uh, protection as per the recommendation. And so, you know, overall, we can say that, um, that this is good, um, but we still have three countries where maternity leave is unpaid or not provided. And, you know, globally, um, we have 649 million women Uh, that still have inadequate maternity protection or no protection at all because they live in 82 countries where maternity leave is actually shorter than 14 weeks or is paid below the two-thirds of previous earning uh, or is actually only paid by the employers instead of uh, uh, social protection. Um, So, you know, on maternity uh, protection, there is much, much more to say. Um, But I would say that uh, at this pace, uh, at the current pace, it will take at least 46 more years to achieve minimum maternity leave rights 
in the 185 countries that we have analysed. Let me just jump in here. Explain to to our, our listeners, why is maternity leave and paid maternity leave so important? Certainly, this is a policy that has uh, uh, a lot of benefits. Uh, It is essential to ensure the health of the mother and the health of the newborn. So here it's a matter of um, it's a right of women to be entitled to maternity protection. And it's also a right for the safety and the well-being of the child. Now, maternity protection allows mothers to recover from uh, uh, from uh, from pregnancy, and it also allows mothers to uh, to readjust to to a new life. So it's extremely important to have time and time off uh, to take care of children. Uh, But this time needs to be paid because otherwise it will be extremely difficult for mothers uh, to um, to take care of their children. And, and, you know, talking about mothers um, and going back to what I was saying before. So, you know, still 46 years to, to achieve minimum maternity leave rights. We are talking of generations of women. So this is extremely important to, to consider. And when we were talking about just a minute ago, the benefits of maternity, uh, you know, the report is very clear that there is something rising, which is paternity leave. And paternity leave is also something that can really complement uh, maternity and the benefits of maternity leave. And we have seen in this report how paternity leave is on the rise. And this is a very positive development in terms of increasing recognition of men's care rights and responsibility and also the the role that men play in, uh, in the in the well-being of the child. And so we see that globally, 115 countries offer a right to paternity leave. And in the last 10 years, 33 new countries have introduced paternity leave. Now, it's not perfect because, you know, we still have 1.26 billion men that live in countries that have no entitlements to paternity leave. So a, a very long way to go. Um, but as well, you know, if from one side maternity is extremely important for the health, for the well-being of the mother, of the child, for readjusting to a new life, etc., paternity leave is also very important. I mean, I noticed one thing you said in the report, and it, it's terribly encouraging that there is more paternity leave available in more countries. But the report says that the take-up rate for paternity leave is low. Did you come to any conclusions as to why that might be? Yeah, indeed. So mm, the take-up is is still very low, uh, and and there are reasons for this. Uh, One of the main reasons is that um, paternity is still unpaid or, or paid very low, in, in, the, in the countries that, that offer paternity leave. So if this benefit is not actually uh, adequately paid, of course, there is no incentive in, uh, uh, in taking up paternity leave. So this is the first uh, uh, thing, that uh, this type of policies, they have to be well designed uh, to, to really make sure that, uh, um, that, that people uh, uh, benefit from them. The other aspect is also very much related to, to stigma and to sort of uh, old fashioned way of looking at the role of men in this whole, uh, uh, you know, business of, uh, um, of children raising. There's still this idea that uh, if, you, if you take paternity leave, you are less of a man 
and you know your masculinity is compromised, etc. Uh, in reality, um, these are also um, aspects and, and mindsets that are changing. There's a lot of awareness raising that is taking place in that uh, in that uh, regard. And, and, you know, the fact that, for instance, uh, in, in Europe, it is mandatory for fathers to take at least 15 days uh, of, uh, of paternity leave, it is changing the mindset. So I, I think that uh, it is a matter of time. Uh, countries are moving in that direction. And um, even if it's going to take time, it is going to, to be... Paternity leave really is a transformative policy because can change it can change mindsets and it can redistribute uh, unpaid care work that has always been on the shoulders of women. So certainly an important one. Yeah, absolutely. So let's look at a couple of the other um, forms of uh, of care and leave that you looked at, particularly other forms of childcare and also um, long term and age related care. You know, childcare services they they yield plenty of benefits as well because they promote child development, they create jobs, uh, they reduce parents' unpaid care work, and they promote uh, women's employment and income over the life course. And so. You know, childcare is extremely important, but unfortunately, only 57 out of 178 countries that we analyzed have a statutory provision uh, of pre-primary school for children aged zero to two years. And, and in only 21 countries, this is framed as a universal right. So you see, here we are talking of... Um, of still very limited access to free and affordable childcare services, which is only available for one in 10 potential parents across the world. And, you know, it's important, uh, this childcare, it is important to look at uh, what we were discussing before, meaning maternity, paternity. There is also parental leave and other leave policies related to, uh, to, 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 the, to the birth of a child and childcare services, because... In many countries, you actually have an important gap between the time that these policies allow parents to be out of the of the job, um, out of work, sorry, to take care of uh, of the of their children, and when this um, this childcare services start. And if we look at uh, on average, there is a gap of almost four point two years at glo uh, globally. Between, as I said, the moment at which the leave entitlement, so maternity, paternity, parental, come to an end, and the age at which children can make use of childcare. And this is what we call for the first time in the report, and for the first time it was calculated, the global childcare policy gap. Of course, it varies, you know, the, the length is different in many countries, but in, 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 in all countries, and, and all this data is actually available. Um, but this is when, if you don't have this continuum and you have a gap, a, a global childcare policy gap, that's when women in particular, but also men, uh, would actually um, uh, either opt for suboptimal arrangements, like working arrangements, like for instance, uh, they would go to part-time or they would go in the informal economy to have more flexibility, or they would drop out of, uh, of the world of work. And, and we have seen this very, very clearly with COVID, because, you know, the ILO and UN Women have just estimated that in 2020, over 2 million mothers left the labor force 
because of job losses in female-dominated sectors and because of the pressure of juggling work and family since, uh, since schools and childcare facilities were, were closed. So the correlation is very, very strong. Right. So in other words, what you're saying is that, um, if, I, if I understand you correctly, is that better care, and in fact, I, I think what the report refers to as a continuum of care, more joined up care, is actually good for the economy because it keeps women in the workforce, it keeps their skills being used for society and the economy, which of course keeps the government's tax revenues up, which allows it to fund care more effectively. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. You summarized it very well. It's a continuum of care that really has the potentials to um, to have societies and economies to be healthy, to be wealthy and to be productive, uh, to be to do. Yeah. And, and to continue to invest in their own human capital. Okay, so going on with that continuum of care idea, you also looked at long-term and age-related care, which is often, to be honest, the poor relation of of, uh, care policies and people who look at care, you know, what happens to the elderly and what happens to people who just need a little bit more help in their lives, perhaps because they're differently abled or whatever. So tell us what you find on that. Yeah, so long-term care services, and, and by long-term care services, we actually mean residential care, community day services, and in-home care, uh, are certainly crucial to ensure the right of uh, uh, a healthy aging, uh, so aging in dignity for older persons, but also the right to independent living uh, for those people uh, who have disabilities. Unfortunately, uh, these are the services that remain inaccessible or inadequate to the great majority of, of those who need them, uh, putting them uh, and their families at risk of income poverty and financial hardship. And so, according to our report, uh, uh, only 89 countries grant public long-term care services for older persons in their laws, uh, and in only 29 of these countries, these services are a universal right. Now, this is certainly an area that requires a lot of thinking, a lot of investments. But the truth is that uh, um, the society is aging. Many societies are aging. And this is certainly um, an area uh, that is overlooked by many countries and that, uh, and that uh, requires more attention. Now, the report also says that in the region of 300 million jobs could be created in the care sector if we invest enough to meet these these missing care needs, to fill these gaps. Can, can you break that figure down for us a bit and tell us a little about the costs? So with this report, we estimated that investing in care policies and services uh, could generate, as you said, up to 300 million jobs by 2035. Um, and these jobs would actually be driven by 96 million direct jobs in childcare. So, you know, we would be creating jobs in those services that are much needed, as well as 136 million jobs in long-term care as well, an area where uh, a lot of attention is needed, and 67 million jobs in non-care sectors. Uh, of course, this has a cost as well, uh, as, uh, as closing these large policy gaps uh, would require a progressive and sustainable annual investment of, uh, and, and the report estimates of US dollars uh, 5.4 trillions 
by uh, 2035. But of course, I mean, there would be tax revenues from increased earnings and employment because employment would also rise. And and um, and this would support would would help reducing the funding requirement to uh, 3.2% of the GDP in 2035. Uh, so, you know, it's very important to to look at this as an opportunity. Lots of people they ask uh, why uh, care systems uh, have been neglected and unfunded in many countries. And, you know, one of the main reasons is that uh, uh, care is made by humans. So, you know, all these jobs, care is made by humans. And, and, um, and the largest expenditure of care are actually salaries, the salaries of the care workers. And these care workers are often identified as current expenditures. And they're not necessarily seen by governments as an investment, such as building infrastructure or roads. But in reality, by paying salaries of care workers, so investing in, uh, in, uh, in, in care work, uh, means also building the human capital, as we were saying before, and therefore building productivity, the future productivity, the future innovation. So that's um, you know that it's it's all connected. It's 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 uh, yeah. It's it's uh, it's all connected. It's back to your continuum of care. Now, now the other thing is that in recent years it has been hard to get people to take up care jobs because they've been poorly paid, they're socially undervalued, and and they're hard both physically and mentally. I mean, is some of the readjustment going to have to come in how how we socially and economically value this kind of work? Absolutely. I mean, we have seen it very well with COVID, uh, with the pandemic. Um, uh, Care work is actually tough work. Uh, It's work that requires skills. Uh, It's not uh, work that that everybody, anybody can do. You need to be trained. You need to be a a professional. And so investments need to go into professionalizing these jobs and especially valuing these jobs. Because as you said, they're very often underpaid and they're very often um, performed uh, under very poor working conditions. Uh, care workers are often exposed to um, uh, the gender wage gap. They're often exposed to um, uh, uh, violence and harassment uh, uh, at work. And, and so it is very important uh, when we talk also about investments to think about um, you know, improving the working conditions. If the sector becomes more professionalized, if the sector becomes more valued, then there will be more interest in, uh, in more women and men uh, to take up these jobs. We're almost out of time, but let me just ask you one more question, which is that Right now, governments are facing enormous bills, societies are, from COVID, from the economic downturn, from a possible need for increases in spending in other areas. What would you say to them to persuade them that they also need to spend more on care? Well, Sophie, I I truly hope that um, our governments have uh, learned something from the COVID-19 pandemic and the global crisis that we all witnessed. Uh, care policies and care services in all their different forms 
uh, are essential for the economies and for the societies to uh, to progress. Um, they are essential for gender equality. Um, and so investing in cares actually means very concrete uh, generation of new jobs. It means increasing productivity. Um, it means responding to changes in demographic trends. It means meeting the expectations of the new generations who want to live in a world that is much more equal. So I think, um, I think you know, there's a lot to, to gain uh, from, uh, from uh, uh, investing in care and designing good policies, good care policies and providing good care services. Emmanuel Pazan, many thanks for that and for joining us here today on the Future of Work podcast. And if you want to know more about the report Care at Work, you can find links on the webpage of this podcast on the ILO website or directly via the website itself. And that's it for today. So please join us again soon for another edition of this podcast. And for now, goodbye. Thank you.